Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. This year it's the company's 60th anniversary. Audio Technica are a global but still family run company that make affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all. Their wireless earbuds are one of the best and most accessible ways to listen to the show on. And it's through these that I've been listening to the artist, listening to the back catalogue of the artist you're about to hear today. So head on over to audiotechnica.com and check out all of their range of stuff. Okay, it's a rainy, rainy, rainy old day in Berlin. Hope wherever you are, it's absolutely fucking amazing. And you're about to listen to Lost in Sound. How's it going? I'm Paul Hamford. I'm a writer, an author, a presenter, and welcome to my podcast, Lost in Sound. The show where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Because beautiful things don't come out of a hierarchy of knowledge, but they come out of sharing. Previous guests on the show have included Peaches, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Leticia Sadier, Ghost Poet, Cozy Funny Tutti, Nightmares on Wax, Mary Davidson, Jan Tiersen, Ellen Alien, and so, so, so many more. And today, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Neil Arthur, founding and now solo member of Blamange. Head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford if you want to support the show and my book, Coming to Berlin, Global Journeys into a Club Culture and Electronic Music Capital is available now on Velocity Press. And thank you to everyone that's read it so far. Okay, so, Neil Arthur. Neil Arthur, Blamange. Neil is English. I'm English. Being English at the moment is all sorts of weird. Just the other day in the news, in Britain, whoa, 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 whoa. And we had this conversation, actually, on the day of the, the Queen's funeral um, which you'll gather from the interview neither of us watched. But there's an Englishness to his work. And there's an Englishness that, like, no matter how strange things are, that I quite like, actually, as well, a sort of living in Berlin, being away from the country I was born in, being an international person here, that, that I, I kind of like to rep which is something that's kind of i don't even know if it actually exists it's a sort of i don't know i guess a sort of like bumbliness that the, i i bumbly openness that i don't actually know that it kind of flies in the face of everything kind of colonial but is you know it's, it's the opposite of like james bond being going around the world representing an empire but you know we do still as English people have 
a sort of language that, if it's used nicely and well, can kind of work in the way Italian food can work, in that it brings people together. And Neil has that Englishness running through all of his music. Like, I knew Blamange initially from the 80s hits, primarily Living on the Ceiling, which I bought from Woolworths as a kid on a Saturday morning. I think it was like 50p and it was my pocket money and stuff. But absolute, absolute timeless banger. And it came out of a time when English pop music from that first part of the 80s was so good, so mythically good that it's, it's kind of gone beyond anything that, 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 that has sort of faded in time. You know, I, I kind of think also of like, you know, people like Human League and Depeche Mode and Tears for Fears and pop music that came out of, initially out of like new wave and post-punk and experimentalism, but was pop at the same time, full of hooks, full of the best production, full of like studio experimentation and, and, and synthesizers, which were relatively new at that point, being used in a pop context. And, you know, the comparative luxury to now where so much is done on software of, of doing this in studios, but with just beautiful, beautiful popness. And, and so much of this music, I feel, is, has become indestructible. Living on the Ceiling, and other tunes by Blamange, like Waves, massive hits from the 80s, have, have, have kind of, they hold up as, as kind of gold standard bangers. You know, I've, I've put it to the test a little bit this week. I've gone back and put the tunes on and gone, fuck, this, is, this music is so, so sort of wants me, wants, I just want to get up and dance, basically. Um, Neil formed Blamange in 1979 in Harrow, with Stephen Luscombe. The band were a duo for most of their career, very, very early on at the beginning, in their post-punk days. They made tape loops and experimental sounds using kitchen utensils. They made the Irene and Mavis EP, which was released in 1980. And I listened back to this in preparation for the interview, and it feels like something that came out at the dawn, right at the dawn, the, the sort of early milk milk float dropping off milk by a house part of the early morning dawn of electronic music which is sort of fuzzy and lo-fi and and apparently they made the whole thing without using any synths but just experimenting and a real kitchen sink kind of production and it doesn't take itself self too seriously it just feels rooted in this kind of playful experimentation and listening to it Daniel Miller of Mutes, Daniel Miller, the famous Daniel Miller, called them the maiden aunts of techno. The music developed, got glossier, along came the hits. Then, some point in the 80s, they called it a day. But then, strangely, 25 years later, Blamange reactivated. Neil and Stephen started making music again. And since then, Stephen left due to health reasons after the first album. Neil has made a phenomenal 10 albums. 
over these 10 years. Talk about someone having been, just being on some kind of roll, you know, out of nowhere again, Blamond reactivated and being out on a roll. And when we had this conversation, which was about a month ago, uh, he was just about to release the 10th Blamond album since the reactivation. That's 10 albums in just over 10 years, Private View. And what's really, really interesting about this album is it's, it's someone making really pared down, minimal electronic pop music, but with the sort of like a kind of rawness and vulnerability of age, like the way in kind of more conventional kind of guitar, kind of acoustic music, the way, you know, we, we can kind of hear the age coming through an artist that, that has kind of has been around for a long time and the way they project their life experiences into it. He does this with electronic music and that, I think that's so interesting. Um, so it's really lovely to have a chat with him and this is what happened. Hello. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much, Paul. How are you? Really good, thank you. It's really rainy here today, but uh, where, whereabouts are you? I've just been for a walk by the River Seven, and it's uh, it was beautiful earlier, and it's getting a bit cloudy now, but only hints of rain. Still fine at the moment. Still time to put the washing out. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think if I put the washing out today in Berlin, it wouldn't need to be washed. It would just kind of yeah. do its own thing. <laughs> so you, you haven't been? Uh, um, have you been taken in by the? Have you been uh, watching or? Uh, with the Queen uh, funeral today? No, no, I haven't watched it. I'm aware, obviously, I'm very aware uh, mm. that it's on and my daughter had the television on in the front room, but uh, I haven't watched it, no. No, no, me, me neither. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for speaking with me today. And, um, th- you know, you've been so prolific, prolific in the last 10 years. Uh, would you say that you kind of, where, where does this sort of like prolificness kind of, come from after such a long break as well do you just are you just like compulsively on a roll i don't know whether i'm on a roll but uh i'm compulsive (laughs) so uh you know and there's a lot to reflect on um it's my for want of a better word it's my art and this is my means of expression probably easier in terms of a way of expression than I may be able to articulate in a conversation, for example. Mm. So um, it's it's a you know that's how I that's how I kind of uh, reflect on what's going on, what I'm feeling, what's going on around us. Mm. And and like sort of sort of with with private view as well, listening to it, there's like a real kind of sort of rawness to it in a way, like the the the, the vocals. It feels like I mean. Um, I know your vocals are very playful, but it feels very, very, very direct. Do you feel that sort of with age, you're you're finding a way to be more and more direct and more sort of like raw in terms of how you express this, you know, like, as you mentioned, like the articulating your emotions? Well, I think it might be part and parcel of coming to terms with uh, that learning process and understanding that less is more. So maybe the directness that you're picking up on, um, if it's there, and thank you for saying that, is a consequence of that filtering where um, I might find that quite difficult in a conversation, but over the course of putting a, a song together, you um, 
you try and separate the wheat from the chaff, chaff mm. uh, and uh, not just lyrically, but sonically in, in all different respects. Uh, the way Benj and I go about um, producing the record um, with the sounds we use uh, and, the, and the lines and the levels of those lines in terms of the layers. Uh, and you know, to have David Rhodes playing guitar as well. I mean, David's fantastic on guitar, but he knows when enough is enough. I'll tell mm. him as well, but I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that thing about enough is enough is really interesting as well, isn't it? Because it's like um, I always kind of feel when I'm listening to stuff, I you can kind of tell when people making music can play maybe more than they're choosing to play. You know, do you, do you feel that sort of enough is enough is sort of that sort of knowing when to limit yourself is important for you. Well, um, sorry, I interrupted you there, Paul. No, that's all um, right. The, I think, as I said a moment ago, it's a learning process. You're always learning. And if you're aware of that and you're prepared to continue to learn and be open or try to be open, then you've got you've got a chance. Um, but it will that will continue for me. And uh, I'll say one thing, that there's certainly no room for rock and roll in La Manche. <laughs> 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 We're not having that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like a bit of Baroque. I'm not having, I, I like a bit of Baroque in terms of architecture of the mm. style, but it's not going to appear in, um, you know, Rococo and Rococo and roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rock and roll. No, we'll have none of that. Is that something you sort of feel has been like a sort of a theme from the early days as well, the, 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 the lack of that? In, ge- in general, um, in general it has, but we're also, um, you know, we're flawed, made plenty of mistakes in public over the years and there'll be a few more. Um, so as long as you're aware of that, you know, that you are flawed and you choose to release your material and it goes out into the public area, well, you know, there you mm. go. you just got to kind of get on with it, haven't you, really, you know, face yeah. the consequences. Um, so uh, in answer to your question, uh, yes, I love the idea of uh, it be, it being, um, the answer being less is more. But mm. there are times, Paul, and I can think of a very good example of it, um, Waves, from all those years ago, mm. uh, came out in 1983. Had it all? I think if you listen carefully, the kitchen sink is on there. So, yeah, <laughs> and the original version of that was probably more minimal than anything uh, the Marble Giants, who were a, hu- a huge influence on early Blumange. Mm. Um, the you know the original version of Waves was very very minimal, but it ended up including the kitchen sink. well actually what you wrote i don't know if this is true or not you know like when i was doing my research i i noticed that it said that you wrote waves in a caravan whilst fixing pavements in rainer's lane nearly nearly correct but it's not far from it yeah rainer's lane is rainer's lane is the location i had a i was at art college um, in london and i had a summer job and what I did, I, I, w- I wasn't ever strong enough to lift up the slabs. I was a bit of a lanky, <laughs> long, you know, streak of piss. Uh, and what what I uh, what I had was uh, I used to go in the early, I don't know, seven seven thirty start, uh, relatively early. And the the guys who fixed the roads used to come in 
and with the order chit shitties, the chitties or whatever they're called, and he said shitties, chitties. <laughs> In fact, I did say it. Um, <laughs> so they used to come in with these, you know, kind of requisition notes, and they'd have they'd want you know two dozen paving slabs, uh, two foot, two foot six, mm. three foot, you know, and I used to help them with those uh, and the sharp sand and their uh, bag of cement or whatever they needed. Um, mm. And then that would be early morning. And then I'd find that I'd have nothing to do until they came back at the end of the day with the tools and whatever they might not have used mm. uh, in that day. So I had hours and hours to do nothing. So I ended up taking this 18 quid guitar in that I bought off a friend uh, on the uh, art college. And um my homemade battery, well, I made it at school, actually, a, a little amplifier I made when I was at, still at school. And I started writing the embryonic versions, you know, like the, the proto versions of um, things like I've seen the word can't explain. Um, I would. And one of the other songs was uh, Waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Stephen and I got together and um, with Stephen's help uh, and fantastic input, you know, uh, made them into much better songs but that's where they started yes paul that's amazing because um what do you know roughly what year that was or, or? yeah yeah it'd be uh, well it'd be 78 or 70 78 that would be yeah right because by the time because no, i was seven, at, excuse me sorry 79 79, 79 right, right. because by the time i was probably a few well probably within a mile or two I, I i went to school in in that area and i was probably a bit just preschool at that time but like when waves charted i did buy it from woolworths uh from <laughs> woolworths in uh east coast uh east coat or pinner i can't remember but so i, I kind of grew up in that area as well and it was kind of, i didn't really realize you came from that area until but it was kind of weird that i was listening to that you know uh yeah and it was just made you know what well, the, the, it was genesis just down the road <laughs> i lived in east coat for a while um in my second year for so first end of the first year beginning of the second year i lived in east coat for a bit mm. and um and I know Pinner very well, uh, very well indeed. But all that area, without a doubt. And Blamont, Stephen used to live in Hayes, mm. uh, so further out than we're discussing. So he lived in West London and uh, shared a house with some mates and um, across from the EMI pressing plant. So one mm. side of the street was a terrace of yeah, houses and he lived about slap bang in the middle of one of them. He had a room in one of them. Uh, and uh, across the road was EMI pressing plant. Mm. So we used to joke about throwing a cassette over there with a label <laughs> on it. Please make into vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did the um, how did you start getting together and making making the music at the time? You know, sort of like in terms of like you were talking about the the site there, but like you know, I mean, more like what was the sort of surrounding influences and sort of like the impetus that you kind of thought, ah, oh, we what did? Is there anyone that you thought I oh, really want to make music like that? Um, there were many bands that we um, admired. I mean, one of the things that got Stephen and I together was we both. I had an arts co- an art college band. Stephen wasn't actually at the art college. He had friends at the college, yeah. and so both of us had these projects that we were involved in, and we went to see each other's 
respective bands and got talking afterwards and shared a common interest in um, music. So from Captain Beefheart through to Krautrock and one particular band, an American band from Cleveland uh, called Perubu. Mm. And we used to go and see Perubu play regularly. Um, and of course, they would be playing on the bill with the pop group. And um, uh, then there'd be other events put on by the same promoter that would have this heat on um, and uh, Cabaret Voltaire, Gang of Four, um, then the Young Marble Giants a little bit later. So, and I was going off to see um, Joy Division. I saw them play many times um, in quite small venues. Then the Human League came along, you know, so it was all that, all that kind of stuff, really. And uh, did I want to sound like any of those? There wasn't a chance in hell we could sound like them. So we just had to set about sounding like and accepting what we'd sound like. Um, mm. And of course, there was a, an influence of talking heads in there. And um, but if I could have sounded like anybody, I suppose it, it would have been across between the Young Marble Giants. Um, Young Marble Giants, Perubu, and Joy Division, <laughs> you know, which is an impossibility and you should never go there. But, you know, they were the bands I absolutely adored. I mean, I really did like them. And, of course, I was always listening to Eno and mm. I listened to a lot of um, a lot of Fats Waller, Johnny Cash. I kind of, I wouldn't have minded being a, in a duo that uh, the singer ended up kind of singing a bit like Johnny Cash. That would have been bloody brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> so do, you think, <laughs> do you think you can kind of like i mean in a way like i was just i was listening back to the irene and mavis ep um mm -hmm. this morning and um do you feel like in a way with something like that which is like really really minimal and raw but it's sort of you, you know there's a sort of spirit that gets passed on between like the, the, the <laughs> artist the artist that you mentioned you know so it doesn't matter that you don't necessarily sound like them but there's a sort of uh, a sort of a shared vibe in some way there's a possibility of that i mean we were just doing our best and that that ep all the recordings on that took place before this um this summer job i had mm. um were you know when i'd been to see uh, the young marble giants many times or well, a few times by then and realised that, oh, my goodness, if I could kind of get my head around that, you know. And we even did a cover of a, we did Brand New Life um, mm. by uh, Young Marble Giants. We actually, Blumange did a cover of it, I remember once, at the Centro, Centro Iberico, which is an anarchist centre off the Harrow Road, um, where we'd been to see Throbbing Gristle play. Do I was, I just couldn't believe, you know, you could, play make those noises and show those films and i was just like oh my goodness this mm. is a bit this is pushing it you know <laughs> very exciting times you know um and uh, the all those tracks as i said the only thing that hints at what was to come is the, mm. the thing called the outro right at the very end where we'd actually borrowed a rhythm unit and i do this improvised kind of guitar noise thing and steve's just hold steven's just holding this keyboard pad and playing with the delay um but yeah maybe it did rub off maybe there was a kind of like um all those all those influences didn't kind of reflect themselves in the sound we made because we wouldn't have known how to do that but the um the essence the feeling the emotion was there yeah
Because mm. obviously now, you know, it's it's super easy to get hold of, of recording equipment, like, you know, just for free on a laptop and, you know, like uh, software like Ableton has kind of in a way sort of standardized the, the accessibility of making sort of music with electronics in. Um, but mm. at the time of this, you know, was there like a real sort of scrabble to find, you know, how did you find the stuff? Because I know that there was a lot of like, you know, as you mentioned, kitchen sink stuff going on in there but was it did you have to kind of really think how to get sounds or must have been quite fun finding ways to make sounds yeah well we started with tape loops and then really discovered that we could slow those or speed those up or slow them down um yeah you're right we used tupperware we used anything that was hand at hand on on that um, EP, I don't know, maybe there's no, there isn't a synthesizer on it. Mm. So um, th- everything was made with um, just cheap homemade. Well, I talked about the crappy guitar I had and the mm. homemade amplifier, which sounded fantastic. You know, it, it had a great sound and amazing sustain on it. Mm. And I used to play a lot more. I still write on guitar, but you rarely see me. And I played on the album, but you'd rarely see me playing guitar anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not a very good guitarist. I, I, ne- I never was. And I'm not now, but I can write enough. I can play enough to write on it. Um, but yeah, just we're a lot from trying to find sounds and uh, scratching our heads trying to think, well, how can we make this work for us? Uh, and e- in fact, even when we recorded happy families, we didn't own a synthesizer until nearing the completion of the album actually i think we bought an ms20 Korg ms20 um and it wasn't until the second album that stephen got his uh well we both had jupiter i had a i had a super jupiter actually but stephen had a, a jupiter 8 um mm. but yeah it was difficult we used to buy and i use these words absolutely qualified here beg steal and borrow <laughs> so uh that's what went on and um and we just plowed and i i'm very proud of that i think we although over the years people have kind of said oh, well it was it was um it was synth pop it was they were uh, because they were a duo we're, we're, mm. there were a few people doing that we just went our our way followed our noses and saw what happened there's no formula there was never a formula mm. and if i had one i would i would throw it away yeah yeah i think i think quite often people just like to group things into stuff like like you say there was that you're a duo and you know there was an electronic edge to it so you know Mm. in the early 80s when when the kind of electro pop came through it's a lot easier it's like a journalist's wet dream to kind of cram things into sort of a sellable way isn't it yeah, uh, you know, for example, you look at, for example, look back at Sparks mm. and the people who have been influenced off Sparks and Vince has talked, uh, a friend Vince Clark has talked about this before, but it never even crossed my mind that Blumange were anything like Sparks. Whether it did for Stephen, I, I'm not sure, but we were just kind of like, well, there's only two of us because I just can't be arsed with a bloody drummer and I don't want to be arguing with a bass guitarist because we can deal with that ourselves. You know? mm. <laughs> it, we had enough time arguing amongst ourselves. Yeah. Which, is, which is why I call ourselves Blamange, you know, because it just didn't matter. It was something throwaway, absolutely throwaway. Uh, so there you go. Just get the yeah. name out of the way. 
That's yeah. brilliant. I didn't well, it's know a crap that. Name. It's a crap name, you know. I mean, we, knew, we both knew that. So, you know, just get <laughs> on with it. Otherwise, we would have called ourselves some pretentious, like the dark static mills or the bleak industrial cooling towers, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you feel, um, you know, this kind of anti-pretentiousness? Did you, did you, what was your sort of opinion of, of the, the bands like in the early 80s that sort of embraced more of a kind of... Uh, you know, the sheen of, I mean, I, I really like them, but, you know, like something like, you know, Duran Duran or or, or um, Spandau Ballet that, um, that did sort of like deliberately embrace like sort of quite a pretentiousness. And I don't mean that necessarily as an insult, but, you know, the kind of, the kind of big dress up and the kind of thematic stuff. Yeah, well, uh, each to their own, really. Um, it wasn't my kind of thing, but I knew Simon uh, from... Uh, art college because he was on the foundation course when I was doing my uh, degree so uh, I'd seen him in a, uh, in a in a band before he joined Duran Duran and he comes from Penner so you know we, I knew him from the area you know uh, yeah. but uh, everybody just went about it a different way you know, like I, we, the new romantic thing which sometimes we get kind of uh, we get kind of labelled well that was never something that even came near what the Mons were up to, but it was just, well, you know, I don't think you ever saw me in a swashbuckling outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have keelhauled you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but good luck to them if they want to do that. I'm being diplomatic, but that's up to them, what they yeah. you know, wanted to kind of wear. I mean, I wore some pretty ridiculous things, and Stephen certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we we ended up with, later with Blamange when we went on tour. I remember Lee Bowery, who was a mm. good, good friend. Lee Bowery ended up designing a load of our stuff. And uh, it looked amazing, but I didn't wear it. Mm. You know, the, I remember Stephen wearing it and David on guitar. Where he looked great. Well, what are you putting I said, I'm not wearing it. It looks great, but I'm not wearing it. <laughs> so <laughs> off I went and wore something else. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's also as of what you're saying as well, and and like making like electronic or kind of like music that's not straightforward like that, that it, um, sort of pre the kind of the, the, the sort of like the commercial success. Um, was there sort of and you kind of mentioned going to see Robin Gristle and uh, and stuff like that, but did, it does sort of feel like did it feel like you were kind of like outsiders at the time? You know, I don't know, I don't was you know electronic music probably wasn't very popular at the time, or people didn't have access to make it. So, did you just sort of feel like you're doing whatever the fuck you want to do? Yeah, we were doing what we wanted to do. Absolutely, um, we weren't there to please anybody else. We did what we wanted to do, uh, and then um, kind of stumbled across a record company that were interested enough to sign us. <laughs> um, it was had Irene and Mavis, which we've spent a bit of time talking about, been the only record that I'd been look, lucky enough to release with Stephen. Mm. Then, and it had been the only one I'd have been, I'd have been as proud of it as I have I'm of anything that we've done you know I'm, well it would have been my proud moment with music mm. uh, and I am still very proud of it as a piece of work uh, I was I just wanted to enjoy being at art college and I was lucky enough when I left to get a job as a graphic designer which was really good fun mm. and you know signing the record deal was quite a big decision for me and Stephen because we both had jobs which a lot of people didn't even then mm. You know, and we were taking a bit of a chance. So we thought, oh shit, we better we better give it a go. <laughs> and to end up having 
you know, getting hits, obviously, with the help of the record company and um, producers that we worked with and some fantastic musicians uh, named, you know, David Rhodes, who's still a very good friend. Mm. Um, you've got to enjoy as much as you can the journey. But, Paul, it ended up in a situation where after about f- before we got signed, Stephen and I had already been making music for three, four years on and off and going about the other stuff we enjoyed doing. Um, and then those four intense years from 82 to 86, mm. particularly towards the end, uh, were like, oh, a minute, this isn't what we started off doing. We were on the edge of becoming a victim of the machine. And, you know, it was like uh, losing clarity. And I think mm. to save the friendship that Stephen and I had, it was in danger of being lost. And I think mm. to save the friendship, we decided to call it a day. Well, I would say that's exactly what I said. Yeah. Um, and I don't regret that. But um, th- the weird thing is, I'm jumping and not really answering your question. No, that's brilliant. That's what. That's, got, that's how it flows, yeah. It's, a, it's, an, it's, it's quite interesting because you end up with that short period getting an awful lot of attention and some of it's the wrong type of attention and some of it you don't realize you've got it and you don't realize how you've reacted to it and you can be be surrounded by an awful lot of people saying yes <laughs> it's it's quite difficult to start uh, kind of judge and there were plenty of ups and downs in that four years some great moments mm. but there's also when you decide when you decide to stop it and you want to get off and step away from it, even at the lower level that we were at. Um, I don't for one minute pretend that we were up there. You know, kind of we weren't. We had a moment. You know, it was good fun. Um, it was very difficult. It was really difficult. There's no, there's no therapy for the come down. Yeah, and that took quite a while to get my head round. And mm. it was, it must have been very difficult for those around me. So I was in no great rush to get back into that so all those years later when we did decide to get back together we'd we'd have said no me and Stephen said no so many bloody times Mm. so when we did it again and i had a great relationship with our record label then and i'm it's marvelous that i've been able to sign to london again it really is Mm. but there were lots of other factors in there which you can't really kind of go into um Mm. so too easily there were many reasons i i took 26 years and I just thought right well when we come back and Stephen and I do this one record together we didn't know whether it's going to be any more it became clear it wasn't going to be any more with Stephen and me working together because of Stephen's health Um, we would do it absolutely on our terms down to the artwork and we would hand in a finished record Mm -hmm. and I've done that every time every record then that's 15 I think since then this will be and every time I or Benji and I or uh, when I worked with uh, Adam Fust, we've handed those in. They have been finished records, and that is it. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no discussions. I finished it because we say it's finished. Mm. So. That's amazing. So you, <laughs> do you, what in in the gap between the twenty six years, um, you know, you sort of describing how there was a lot to kind of come down from. I really relate to the kind of yes thing as well of like being you know a lot of people saying yes and and that can lead to sort of like a confusion of who you are I guess did it yeah you, of course. 
did you did you were you were you sort of like making music for yourself in in the time between or did you just kind of step <laughs> away step away no i did um i was fortunate that when i stopped doing blamange um i'll put this in perspective in a minute mm. um i a friend of mine was um moving from being a photographer of film to getting his first jobs as a director mm. and he asked me to do some music and i did that music with a very good friend graham henderson who's a great musician and then um moved on and got more work on my own doing film and tv work um, and Stephen did a similar thing actually including theater music as well and it was really lovely being able to express yourself you know with music mm. but uh, obviously a lot of it did not i didn't have to have i carried on writing lyrics but i didn't have to put them with the music they were just going somewhere else like mm. you know almost it could have been poetry if you know somebody had chosen to say that it was <laughs> but i didn't show anybody yet. um so but the the music was great because i didn't have to do interviews i didn't have to have my photograph taken i didn't have to worry about whether it'd get radio play all i had to do was finish in a certain time and normally you'd have to work quite quickly which may be one of the reasons i'm able to um i write quickly now mm. and make relatively quick decisions about things because there's always tomorrow i hope there is um i've got to say you never know whether there will be but you can't mm. you know you take it that you you might have another chance to to do a, a better job tomorrow you know um but so i i did that kind of music uh for film and tv and some of it was some of it was nice some of it was less pleasant uh and when there wasn't that work around um like anybody else who's got to earn a living um i will say there aren't many musicians who who can't um paint and decorate so i'm a bloody good decorator and yeah. i i learned to do a bit of decorate well i didn't learn because my dad had shown me but i, I did so a bit of decorating to bring the pennies in pay the bills mm-hmm. like a young family so you do anything you do all, you know you have to do what you have to do really exactly exactly and i, I think it's definitely uh i think yeah like i i do different jobs everyone i know that's working in the creative field does different yeah, things and, and, and stuff like that and um would you would you say that there was anything that kind of or for you what do you feel like connects the blamange now and the blamange of 40 years ago is there is there something that like that you automatically go yeah that is so similar to the past or is it all just like a process of change and just keep moving with it I, I, it's other people who say it's the, um, you know, kind of, oh, it's, it sounds like this or it's like that. I, I don't set out to repeat anything. Mm. I mean, I'm into recycling, but I draw a line somewhere. But I go ahead. Oh, um, I, uh, I, I think other people will be able to have a better perspective not better perspective because they've got the distance you know it's in my head isn't it so it's quite difficult inevitably it's going to sound like aspects of blamange but you know um it's i think that's for other people to say um i'm always trying to do something different i don't want to repeat unless we're doing the live performances and i'm i'm in i'm in my element i I hate touring but i love the gigs I really love right. So do you mean the technicality of the, the touring, the kind of 
traveling around i suppose yeah i don't i don't like the hotel i don't like the roads and i don't like the hotels Mm. I, I love the company on the road because I work with some beautiful, beautiful people, really, really great musicians and good friends. Um, but I, uh, the gig is great, but I, there's more yards in the miles, you know, it's all mm. that stuff. Because you, you're, you're getting ready now, aren't you, to, to go on tour? Yep, 28 dates. 28 dates. Does that fill you with a sense of dread or excitement? Or <laughs> Well, I'm in rehearsal tomorrow. Mm. and. Um, I'm just uh, checking out a few things today, um, making sure it's all, well, it's just triple checking, actually, because I've been through it, but I will inevitably, I'm a bit of a worrier, so I will go through it again. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to the rehearsals. They're always they're always tough. It's always mm. hard work. But, you know, nothing good comes out of anything, unless you put, what I'm trying to say is, unless you put the hard work in, you're not going to get the other end, ain't going to be good. So give me a second. I've just lost you. I've no worries. Plugged myself. I think. What the is there? There you go. Just plugged myself back in. There you go. Um, no worries. No worries. All good. So, yeah. yeah, I um, I think I'll um, I, right. Stay once a stage at a time. The prep's done, and we're going into rehearsals. The rehearsals will be really tough, but we will have a lot of laughs and a lot of games. We'd have to have breaks mm. when you you're doing long days. So we we play table tennis. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> do you have like a championship of it or something do you, do you, well, do you get we, quite we have a few games it gets very competitive mm. yeah. so it gets very competitive um yeah, we'll have a few games of them and then we do um there's a launch um for the album launch party i think mm. they call it um where it's like uh, no it's a playback it's a playback that's it right, playback yeah. thing so that that takes place the after we finished the first and second stages of rehearsals so we're going to listen to that I, i'm not sure i'm going to be i don't listen to my own music you know mm. i would want to listen to it so i'm not sure whether i'll be able to do that at the moment I think I might have to go and have a pint whilst they listen, then I'll come back in. <laughs> I, I understand that from everything you're saying as well. It sort of feels a little bit contradictory to the way you work to sort of, I remember like, do you watch that, that that documentary about Scott Walker? And like he had the similar sort of process as well of like finishing an album, listening to it once and then never ever listening to it again. Yeah, that's more or less it for me and Benj. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> So I, I, I've had to go through a few of them because I need to learn. We'll probably do four of them in the set because mm. after all, we're promoting the album. So, you know, <laughs> when, we, when we do Living on the Ceiling and Blind Vision and Feel Me and stuff like that, obviously we're going to have to temper that with, um, you know, the, the old and the new will be mixed together. So mm. I have had to listen to aspects of them. But uh, no, I, as, a, as an album, I'm not going to sit and listen to it again. <laughs> I want to, I really want other people to listen to it. Of course I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, you move on. I'm I'm writing new stuff already. So I, I was figuring if you've done one every year, you must be on the next album by now. Yeah, yeah. And there's other stuff to come out. I'm working with Liam, who plays drums with us, Liam Mutton and Finley Shakespeare. I'm sure you've heard of his amazing electronics. I, ha- I haven't, to be honest with you. I'm a bit, I, I sometimes, I know a lot about some names and then other names could be really, really important and I just, right. just haven't heard of them. It's, it's weird how memories like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I know what you mean. Um, anyway, but with those two, I'm, I'm working, we finished an album, so that'll be out next year. 
Um, I've got to finish at some point in the future with Vince Clark and I and Bench have mm. done an album together. So that will come out at some point. Um, Amazing. Yeah. So there's, and there's another, I'm doing some instrumental, another nail by mouth, mm. Paul. Uh, I don't know what number I'm on, six, number no, my six. And then <clears throat> there'll be another Blumange album, not next year, because there needs to be room for these other projects. Mm. But the year afterwards, there will be a, but you know, for now, we'll concentrate on Private View, which comes out in a bit. <laughs> so, I mean, with working with Vince Clark, it must have been, I mean, do you, did you, were you, are you, are you pals with him anyway? Or, you know, because like, obviously you've got like a sort of shared timeline in a certain way. Yeah, we were um, we were really good mates in the eighties um, because when we were kind of brought together, we met each other really via um, Steve-O, who put together um, the Sun Bizarre Sampler in eighty mm. one. So we met probably in eighty eighty one and formed a friendship. So he, he was a formed a friendship, um, and so much. So we actually went on holiday together, uh, a group of us, and had a fantastic time. It was the it was the um, Abba Epiphany holiday, where we decided we were going to cover Abba songs. <laughs> of course, we did. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like, so you did the day before anyway. you came, and then we lost touch. Mm, yeah. And yeah. Vince went on later with Erasure to do uh, Abba, uh, Abba-esque. Yeah, um, I remember that. So you, so, you beat, yeah, you so beat we, them to the post we, with we that did one. Lose. Apparently so, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, so we we were good mates then. We lost touch um, over the years and then got back in touch with each other quite a while ago now. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so... Which is lovely, which is really lovely. So, uh, and then we've got a second album. So it's just finding time to let that one uh, release. That one. Yeah, yeah, and they have to kind of sit out in the world for a little while, don't they? I guess to kind of just yeah. like do their thing. And you know, as you were saying, with like the kind of in a much different way, but from what you're talking about earlier on, with like finishing Blamange the first time, there's a certain amount of. Do you find there's a certain amount of like coming down you have to do now still from 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 like a kind of a project? Um, no, it's not too bad now because it doesn't mm. get as intense. It's uh, you know, obviously you get a bit tired on tour mm. if you've done 28 days. You know, my, the equivalent as a of the priory for me, you know, like the poor man's priory is, <laughs> is match of the day. You know, beans on a tray. Well, obviously, on a plate on a tray with some <laughs> yeah. baked beans. Baked beans are preferably on a plate with some yeah, yeah. tray underneath. Yeah, tray underneath, ideally. Yeah. Um, match of the day, and you know, just and maybe the great escape afterwards, you know. Oh, <laughs> and, then I'm all, I'm, and then I'm right to go. Yeah. <laughs> right to go. <laughs> Neil, thank you so much for chatting with me. That was fantastic. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, chatting with Neil Arthur, a.k.a. Blamange. And we had that chat about a month ago, as you can hear in the interview. It was on the uh, the Queen's uh, funeral day 
which was just a normal day for me in Berlin and then sort of zooming and I did a couple of zoom interviews that day and it was like oh my god yes there is that thing going on back in England at the moment uh thanks to Zoe Miller for organizing that interview and Private View the Blamange album is out now on London Records thanks to ESO for the music for the show that you hear at the beginning at the end of the show and Lost and Sound is presented produced all of that by me Paul Hanford and this episode was sponsored by Audio Technica, makers of high quality audio accessible to all headphones, turntables, cartridges, and microphones. It's their 60th anniversary their year, this year. They make awesome products. Head on over to audiotechnica.com, wherever you are in the world. And yes, my book, Coming to Berlin, is out now on Velocity Press. Ah, you, I can hear a helicopter in the sky. There's a baby crying. It's Saturday morning in Berlin where I am. I hope wherever you are, you're having a bloody lovely one and you treat yourself to something really special today. Take care and speak to you soon.